Well, open your Bibles, if you would, where we left off last week to the book of Philemon, verse 8. And stand with me out of respect for God's word, would you, as we read this together. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner, also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending you back, I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this purpose is why he was departed from you, or perhaps, this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Let's pray. Oh Lord, please open our minds and soften our hearts as you speak to us through your word. May we be not just hearers, but doers. For it's in Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Well, having just enjoyed a week that included giving thanks for the Lord's many blessings, we read this morning a letter from the Apostle Paul to his friend Philemon. And Paul is giving thanks for a fellow that he had met while he was imprisoned in Rome. Now, Philemon doesn't necessarily share Paul's opinion about this guy. I mean, this fellow of whom Paul gives his thanks is a fellow who used to work for Philemon. He's a servant that many believed had been not only ungrateful, but dishonest and without a doubt disloyal. It's believed that, that when he left Colossae, he might have taken with him a big chunk of Philemon's savings. And that left his former boss in a dreadful, dreadful situation. And we don't know whether he, he left under the cover of darkness or did he leave while Philemon was sending him on a business trip to Ephesus and while he was there he just decided to bolt. And he goes, he, he hops aboard a ship to Rome and, and uh, this is a place where, you know, the historian Tacitus said that uh, all things horrible and disgraceful find their way to Rome. It is the center of moral darkness and lawlessness. And this happens to be where the Apostle Paul is being held in prison. He's awaiting trial for charges that Jews brought against him three, four years earlier when he was in Jerusalem. And it created such a disturbance, the Romans arrested Paul and they have filed charges against him for disturbing the peace. He is a threat to the Pax Romana. And while in Rome, Philemon, former servant, a slave within the Roman Empire who was guilty of two capital offenses. Number one, stealing. Number two, escaping. 
So this guy who has stolen and has left under the cover of darkness has gone to Rome and ends up encountering the Apostle Paul. The name for this fugitive is Onesimus. Now you've got to keep in mind the workforce within the Roman Empire was built on the backs of 60 million bond servants who have not been kidnapped, but they've been conquered. And they are now employed by Roman citizens. To abandon their masters, those for whom they worked, like Onesimus did, that, that's a capital offense. As a matter of fact, the historian Tacitus records that one Roman citizen, a guy named Secundus, was murdered by one of his 400 employed bondservants. This word for bondservant, by the way, is doulos. And the prosecutor, because of the behavior of this one, it believed that, that all of them were in conspiracy against Secundus, he puts all 400 of them on trial. All 400. And he secures a conviction. All 400 are publicly executed. Why? Why is that? They were sending a very clear message to the other 60 million. You don't rebel against Rome. You are a conquered people employed by Roman citizens, and you better respect that. Now, how Onesimus crossed paths with Paul, we don't know. Was he arrested? Thrown in jail? We don't know. Did he get a job there at the jail, cleaning, sweeping, and encountered Paul? We don't know. This we do know. Once he encounters the Apostle Paul, his life changes dramatically. And Paul becomes his spiritual father, according to verse 10. Maybe it was Christ teaching in Matthew 5. Remember what he said? If you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift. Leave it. Go be reconciled with your brother. Then you come back and give your offering. Maybe that instruction caused Paul to say, you know what, Onesimus? I know you don't want to do this, but you know the right thing to do in this situation is you need to go back to Colossae. You need to go back and apologize. You need to go back and make things right with Philemon. And you know what? There's no better time to do that than right now because I am going to be sending these letters. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I'm sending them back by my good friend Tychicus. Onesimus, I want you to go with him. And I want you to take this letter to Philemon. My friend. The guy you worked for, the guy that you abused, the guy you did wrong. I want you to take this letter with you. And as we read last week, it begins with Paul giving thanks for the joy of serving in ministry with Philemon. He's so impressed with how Philemon has lived out his faith in Christ in a way that refreshes the lives of everybody around him, especially within the church. And so Paul is so thankful for Philemon that he prays for him continually. And now he's about to make an appeal that will strengthen the witness of Philemon's faith if he's willing to do it. If he's willing to do it. 
So he says, now accordingly, though I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. As an apostle, Paul is saying, look, I've got the authority to order you to do what's right here. I do. But you know, obedience from the heart and not just out of obligation is always so much more impressive. You remember your mother saying to you, I shouldn't have to tell you to clean your room and take out the trash? If for no other reason, our love for you ought to be motivation enough? That's what Paul is saying. I shouldn't have to demand that you forgive this man given how the Lord has forgiven you. I mean, it's an insult to you and it's a hurtful to me should you choose to treat this man like you're just another Roman dealing with just another runaway servant. Paul had just written in this letter to the Colossian church, the one that Tychicus has taken to him. The one that's going to be read out loud in church. He just said, chapter 3, verse 13, forgive one another as the Lord in Christ has forgiven you. Remember when Peter asked Christ, well then, how many times are we to forgive someone? Seven? By the way, folks, that's pretty magnanimous on Peter's part. Because the rabbis taught that it's unnecessary to forgive beyond three times. And they were citing the prophet Amos. They were saying, look how the Lord Gave the enemies of Israel three chances. And then after that, he brought judgment. And so we're going to give you three chances. And then we're going to slam the door on you. And Christ says to him, no, Peter, not seven times, but 70 times seven. What? That's absurd. That's absurd. I mean, look, if I forgive someone that many times, you know what's going to happen, right? You know what's going to happen. They're going to walk all over me. They're going to keep taking advantage of my goodness to forgive them. They're going to make me into a doormat. Yeah, that's the problem, isn't it? Me. Me. They're going to abuse me. They're going to make me into a doormat. You know, wherever there is an unwillingness to forgive, I am usually the issue. There is no way I can, nor do I want to forgive someone that many times. Unless I were to remember that the Lord has forgiven me 70 times 70 times 70 times 7. Maybe it's best not to add up exactly how many times the Lord has forgiven. But that, that's not the issue. I mean, the Lord's not suggesting that we become doormats, is he? I mean, if I keep forgiving, what's going to happen is I'm going to become an enabler. And they're going to continually abuse my willingness to forgive them. The Lord's not asking me to do that, is he? Is he? No. 
He's not. Scripture never encourages us to become doormats. Never encourages us to become enablers. Why? Why is that? Well, let me give you a hint. It has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with me. Why does the Lord not command us to become doormats? Why does he not command us to forgive in ways that we will become enablers where people will continue to sin against us? Why is that? The reason is very simple. That's not the definition of love. It's not. When Christ forgives us, do we continue in sin that grace may abound? Huh? What would you say to that? You'd say Romans 6.1, right? God forbid. No way. Was that the instruction Christ gives us? No, it's not. What does he say? Matthew 18. If your brother sins against you, what are you to do? What are you to do? Just keep forgiving him and let him keep on sinning? No, he says you go to him, just the two of you. And as Paul would add in Galatians 6, you who are the most spiritual, you need to restore him. Christ adds, well, if they won't listen, what do you do? Well, you, you take someone with you you believe they will listen to. And what if they don't listen to that person? Well, then you, you get whoever is necessary within the church involved. Get the whole church involved if you have to. Why? Because the issue is not you being offended. What is the issue? It's doing what is best for your brother. For your brother to continue to sin against you means that he's continuing to sin against the Lord. How can you want that for his life if you love him? You can't. Allowing him to continue in sin is not the definition of love. Do you see why? Do you see why I'm sending Onesimus back to you, Philemon? Do you understand that? He has sinned against you, and in so doing, he sinned against the Lord. Because the Lord never willed for him to be a thief. The Lord's will was for him to be trustworthy and honorable and dependable and honest like Joseph was to Pharaoh, like Daniel was to Nebuchadnezzar, like Nehemiah was to Artaxerxes. So when Onesimus sinned against you, he sinned against the Lord. He stole from you. He left you in a bind. And it's by God's grace that he has come to this life-changing faith in, in, in Christ. <laughs> and what does that require? That requires that he come back. That requires that he apologize. That requires that he does whatever is necessary to make things right with you. He has to do that. Why? Because that's who he is now in Christ. That's who he is. And I tell you, having seen your love for Christ in the church, verse 5, there's no reason for me, no reason for me to require or demand that you forgive him, verse 9. For love's sake. What love? Your love. 
Your love for the Lord, my love for you, our love for Christ, our love for the church, all of that love. For love's sake, all I need is to appeal to you to do what is right, and I'm confident you will do it. You know, when he says, I am bold enough to command you to do what is required, that's the word anakon. He uses that in the letter to the Colossian church in chapter 3, verse 18. It's translated proper. In other words, according to the divine order, it is proper for wives to submit to their husbands. Well, it is proper by divine authority granted to me as an apostle for me to order you to forgive, but it is not necessary. The culture has made provisions for you to punish Onesimus. And listen, though I am old, which is a relative term given the fact he's probably in his 60s at this point. He doesn't realize he's not that old, but anyway, he thinks he is. Though I am old, I am no threat to anyone, and yet I'm a prisoner for Christ. Why is that? Why is he in prison in Rome? Well, because the Romans can justify keeping him there because by law... (laughs) They considered him to have broken the Pax Romana. They can justify doing what they're doing to Paul because they feel like that he has broken the peace of Rome. A proper punishment for Onesimus would be what? Death. They could put him to death. I am making an appeal to you that you do not do what he deserves. You do what the love of Christ would demand. In my first ministry in Evansville, Indiana, I bought a house from a man in the church who did not tell me till after the closing that my neighbor was at war with him over a fence that he had installed around the backyard. He tells me that after the fact. We moved to Evansville. We unpacked the truck. I come out and begin mowing. This old man who felt like that the fence around my backyard was an encroachment on his property. The guy I bought the house from says it's legal, it's approved, it's proper. There's no need for you to, to succumb to the demands of this cranky old man. And so I'm out here, I'm mowing my grass, and this guy comes out of his house waving his arms for me to turn off the mower. And he is cursing up a storm. He's telling me all about how the back post of my fence is on his property. And he's going to sue me. He's going to have a survey done. And he's going to prove that 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 back post is is encroachment on his property. And he is going to sue me if I don't remove it. And another thing. I hate those blackberry bushes back there. They hang over the fence onto my property. And they're a mess. 
when he got done, I said, sir, it's nice to meet you. I will take out those blackberry bushes. And as far as that fence goes, if when you have your survey done, you find that that post is on your property, I will have somebody move it. I didn't put it there. It was there when I bought the house. But if it's on your property and you want it moved, I will move it. He said, you will? I said, yes. Absolutely. What brings you here? I'm a pastor. You ought to see him try to talk now without cursing. Just wiped out 75% of his vocabulary. (laughs) Do you attend a church? No. I'm going to move those blackberry bushes. I'm taking them out right at the root. He said, thank you. And I'll get back to you on that fence. Did I have a right to keep those bushes? Well, of course I did. But if I love the Lord and my neighbor as myself, what do you think was the greater obligation there? My right to keep bushes that were on my property? Or my love for the Lord that leads me to love my neighbor enough that I'll sacrifice the bushes? I took the bushes out, and I never heard anything else about that fence. But my wife called me at work one day, and she said, you better get home. I said, what? What's the problem? Our neighbor, he's in our yard. I jumped in the car, rushed home, and here this cranky old man had seen where I had begun mowing my yard the night before, and I ran out of gas. He's out there mowing my grass. He's trimming my lawn around the fence that he hates. He felt the grass was too tall. But rather than complain, he just mowed it. And um, not only did he mow my grass, he and his wife began bringing us goodies, homemade cookies, desserts they actually ended up becoming some of the finest neighbors we've ever had actually I loved that old man it doesn't always work out that well but you know the result is not the issue the result is not the issue The issue is the obedience and the trust that we have in the Lord. And I'm trusting you, Philemon. Oh, you can do what law demands. Or for love's sake, you can do what honors the Lord. You know, formerly he was useless to you, but now indeed he is useful to you and to me. What does that mean? (laughs) It's a play on words. Onesimus means useful. Philemon would have seen the humor here. He would have seen the cleverness of Paul in this statement. Here is a guy who was given the name useful by his mother, and he was obviously useless to me. 
He left me in a bind. He violated my trust. He stole from me. He never appreciated how I was trying to provide for him and his family. But he's a changed man now. What his mother had hoped for by naming him useful has been accomplished in Christ. The guy who stole from you, Philemon, the guy who has caused you so much trouble, that guy no longer exists. Like a caterpillar that becomes a butterfly, no longer exists. By the grace of God, this man who stole from you, who abandoned you, no longer exists. He has been transformed to the point that he is now useful, not just to you, but guess what? He's useful to me. I've had him here for some time, and I tell you what, he's awesome. But I'm sending him back to you. It's like sending my very heart. Man, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. This word for heart here is not cardia, from which we get cardiac. It's splachna. Splachna, as we saw last week. It's translated in the KJV as bow. It's the seat of one's emotion. Paul isn't talking about his physical heart. He's talking about the intense feelings of appreciation and love that he has for Onesimus. So much so, I really want to keep him here. I really do, but I can't. I can't do it. My love for you will not allow me to keep your servant without your consent. You know, it's believed that the Apostle Paul had problems with his eyesight because of the blinding experience of the Shekinah glory of the Lord that shone upon him on the Damascus road, Acts 9. He was blinded. Some believe that that's the reason that he writes, see what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. That's in Galatians 6. He said, I dictated the book of Romans to Tertius, my secretary, And then I added my John Hancock signature at the end. So when he says he is useful to me, some speculate that Onesimus might have been the one by whom the Apostle Paul had recorded these letters to the Ephesians, to the Philippians, to the Colossians. However, the point remains, Onesimus, you wronged. Philemon, you did the wrong thing. The fact that he is forgiven in Christ does not eliminate his need to return and make things right. So for the sake of our ministry together, the witness that we have within the church and so forth, I'm not keeping your servant for my benefit. I'm not doing it. I don't want to, but I'm sending him back to you. And I'm confident that he's going to be useful to you this time. He's going to be useful to you as he's been useful to me. You know, we've had some wonderful young men come to Wellington to get their start in ministry here. We've been very patient with them as they've kind of had to learn how to apply the great truths of God's word in ministry in very practical ways. And, you know, they've made mistakes. They did things that they shouldn't have done and so forth. That's all part of learning. 
But about the time they become really proficient, they leave. They leave to become pastors in places where they're badly needed. And it's often very tough, very tough on us. We don't want them to go. But it's the right thing to do. We know it's the right thing for them, and we know it's the right thing for the churches where they are going. And that's Paul's point. I've mentored this young man. Man, I would love to keep him. But for the sake of the ministry that we share together in Christ, it's really necessary that I send him back to you. It's necessary for the church to see him repent. It's necessary for the church to see you forgive him. Not by compulsion, but by your own accord. By your own accord. I'm not going to force you to allow me to keep Onesimus. I'm sending him back in hopes that you will forgive him and he will make things right with you and you will see, what, what's, what's the word to hear? Perhaps. When I was reading through the scripture earlier, I said purposes. You know why? That was what was on my mind. Because what does perhaps mean? Perhaps, perhaps the reason the Lord in his sovereignty allowed Onesimus to go through this transformation the way that he did was for the greater good. It was for the greater good. See verse 15? For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. I like this word perhaps. Because Paul is not going to presume to know why some things happen as they do. But he knows this, the Lord is sovereign and he is holy. And so everything that he does is right. And while we may not understand why some things happen as they do, Paul is absolutely confident of this. The Lord works all things together for the good of those who are called according to his purposes. He never willed for Onesimus to sin against Philemon. Never. Couldn't. He's holy. Can't do it. But perhaps he allowed it for a greater good because it's through Onesimus leaving through Onesimus, running to Rome. He encounters Paul and he becomes a great blessing to Paul and now he's going to return to be a greater blessing to Philemon. Not just a bondservant, but a brother in Christ. No longer a resentful employee, but one who is grateful and dependable and responsible. He is a brother in Christ. Somebody that you can trust. Paul is not presuming upon the Lord. But he does say, perhaps, perhaps, this is why the Lord allowed this to unfold as it did. You know, I'm not so sure that Philemon is quite ready to read Romans 8.28 just yet. Maybe that's the reason that Paul doesn't quote that to him here. What he has suffered as a result of Onesimus' betrayal still very raw. It's a truth that comforts, but it's not a truth that we can always accept at particular times in our life. 
We had a very good friend who worked at Toyota get killed last week. Freak accident. He's worshipped here many times. 39 years old. A wife and a small child. He's gone. I don't think his family's quite ready to hear the truth of Romans 8.28. I had lunch with a, a friend this week whose son died in his sleep. His son? Yes. How old was he? 42. Was he sick? No. They'd just been out in the backyard playing with his children that night. This father was not ready to hear the truth of Romans 8.28. Is the Lord sovereign? Yes. Is he holy? Yes. Does he work all things together, even horrific things? Does he work them together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose? Yes. Yes, he does. But you know, when Job didn't understand what was going on in his life, when his children were dying, he was losing everything that he had worked for all of his life. He asked the Lord, why? And do you remember how the Lord answered him? The Lord answered him with 72 questions. Where were you, Job, when I laid the foundation of the earth? Where were you? Are you finite or are you infinite? Have you ever commanded the morning? Can you do that? Can you cause the dawn to know its place? Do you have that kind of control, Job? No. You ever walked on the recesses of the deep? Have you? Do you know how the plate tectonics works? Do you know how it releases carbon dioxide? Do you know how that keeps the earth from becoming too cold? Do you know how that interacts with oxygen in order to keep the earth from becoming too, too hot? Do you understand how all that works, Job? No, no, I, I, I don't understand that. Do you control it? No, I, I don't. Where is it light is divided or the east wind scatters over the earth? Do you understand that? Can you cause it to rain? Can you make seeds of grass sprout from the earth? Can you bring forth a constellation in season? Did you give the horse his might when you created him? Did you cause his neck to have a mane? No. I can't create a horse. Do you know how the hawk soars? Do you know how to assemble a hawk that he can soar over the earth? Have you ever done that, Job? No. No, I haven't. How do your years, Job, compare to eternity? They, they don't. And you're asking me why? I am eternal. I am holy. Job finally understands it. He said, I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. Chapter 42. He concludes, you don't owe me any answers, Lord. Yes, you are holy. You are sovereign. 
Therefore, I live by faith. And so Paul says, perhaps. Perhaps the sovereign God who created us and who recreates us for the sake of his glory. Maybe he permitted Onesimus to sin against you, Philemon, for a good purpose. That he might put on display his goodness and mercy and grace. Not only through the transformation of Onesimus. But how Onesimus now will now serve you. And how he will serve me. And how he will serve the churches of Colossae. And Laodicea and Ephesus. And not only that. But we are going to record it in my holy word. As to how those transformed in Christ. Not only repent as Onesimus has done. But will learn to forgive one another as I am confident that you will do, Philemon, that you will do. This word bondservant is the word doulos. It's an indentured servant who oftentimes voluntarily chose who he wanted to devote his service to. It's very possible Onesimus chose to serve Philemon and then for whatever reason didn't like that job, didn't like that boss, didn't like his life there, and so he bolts. It's the same word that Christ uses in Mark 9 to describe the greatest within his kingdom. He said, will be the doulos of all. So Onesimus may have committed himself to Philemon and then broke his word. Now, he doesn't return as a bondservant. He returns as a brother in Christ in whom you can now trust his word. So what, what you thought was a horrible thing at the time, Philemon, the sovereign God of the universe was working it all together for your good and for his glory. So you're going to treat him like another Roman? Has a legal right to treat his bondservant? Or are you going to treat him like a brother? Who forgives another brother? What will you do? Do you see these foundational facts for forgiveness? They're very simple. For love's sake, for ministry's sake, for Lord's sake. Anyone here who realizes just how much the Lord has forgiven you? Or do you need to be reminded? Do you need to forgive someone or do you need to be forgiven? You know, for the love of Christ, are you willing to do what is right before the Lord? Well, what if I go to this person to make things right and they don't respond as well as your, your neighbor did? Well, whether I'm forgiving them or they're forgiving me is not the issue. It's not about me. It's not about me. I am to do what is right, and what they do is between them and the Lord. Are you willing to do what is right for your love of Christ and for the sake of your witness that your ministry might be consistent with his word? And are you willing to do it for the Lord's sake that he might glorify himself through your obedience? What about it? Now, if you're saying, well, how do I do this? It's very simple. You start by remembering how much you've been forgiven. And secondly, you don't make it about you. You're going to go do what is right 
for love's sake. Your love of Christ for ministry's sake, for the effectiveness of your witness within the church and for the Lord's sake. You're going to trust him that through your obedience, he is going to glorify his holy name. That's why we forgive. Do you need to be forgiven? Or do you need to forgive? Maybe you need both. If you have questions, you can go to the connect table. If you need prayer, you can go to the prayer room. And I've been pointing over here. They have moved it over there. And so the prayer room is now the library. It's uh, room 116. I know. 113. Doesn't matter. Look for a room that's got a lot of books in it, okay? It's the library. It's the library. Or you can feel free to come to my study this week. Stand with me as we pray together. Lord, there's probably not a person in this place who could truly fathom how much we've been forgiven in Christ. We too often have way too high opinion of ourselves. Our sin is so great, we, we can't comprehend it, even if we were to try. But we know this, that there, there's no one, there is no one who has sinned against us more than we have sinned against you. So for love's sake and for the sake of our witness within your kingdom and for the sake of your glory, give us the ability, Lord, give us the ability to forgive as we have been forgiven and to make a concerted effort that as far as it depends on us, we will live at peace with everyone, just as you commanded in your word in Romans 12. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for giving us this example from the lives of Paul and Onesimus, Philemon. May we too be found faithful in Christ to the glory of your holy name. For it's in Christ that we ask it. Amen.